Government health officials and other sinister incompetents are warning Americans about the onset of a new brain-eating, energy-sapping, mind-numbing pandemic called the World Cup. The symptoms are lethargy, apathy, irritability, and a tendency to turn on the sports news only to experience a complete blackout until you wake up in bed with a Venezuelan prostitute, a random collection of farm animals, and a one-legged midget who may or may not be a communist spy. Uh, That last symptom may only apply to me. Along with being a soul-destroying plague ravaging the nation, the World Cup, of course, is also the championship match of what the Europeans call football because it's played with your foot and a ball and what Americans call soccer because if football were that boring, Americans wouldn't watch it. It's called the World Cup because the entire world participates, unlike the baseball championship, which is called the World Series because it's played by the only part of the world that anyone takes seriously. For those of you who have been doing something more interesting than watching soccer, like picking your nose or listening to a political discussion on The View, let me give you a quick summary of how the game is played. First, a group of men dress up like high school girls. Unless it's women's soccer, then a group of high school girls dress up like men dressing up like high school girls, which would be confusing if anyone were watching, but it's women's soccer, so that's not a problem. Next, the girly men run back and forth, kicking a ball around a field for no discernible reason. The only rule is that you're not allowed to touch the ball with your hands. That eliminates any side effects that might arise from the use of the opposable thumb, like, say, human civilization. Now, whenever a man on one team brushes lightly against a man on the opposing team, the man on the opposing team has to throw himself down on the ground and whine and cry and make a big drama out of nothing, because if you're going to dress like a high school girl, you might as well go the whole hog. Then, whenever someone who's kicking the ball enters the general vicinity of the goal, everyone in the stands has to jump up and cheer as if something has happened. Otherwise, they would have to face the fact that nothing has happened and nothing is ever going to happen, and that would be intolerable. If by some random chance the ball should actually roll into the goal, then, of course, there's a riot, continuing the centuries-old global tradition of staging mass violence between people of different nations over something totally meaningless and incomprehensible that everyone would have forgotten in a week or two if so many young men hadn't been killed in the resultant fighting. Now, this year, the World Cup is being held in the Muslim nation of Qatar because over the years, Christians have suffered enough. And of course, Qatar being a Muslim nation, the authorities there have banned drinking at the matches and will not allow the celebration or encouragement of homosexuality. This is because the Muslim God is very serious and will kill you for your sins here and now, whereas the Christian God has a sense of humor and thinks it's funnier to let you do whatever you want, then cast you into eternal hellfire by way of a hilarious surprise ending. This is why we reject Islam and embrace Christianity, because that actually is funnier. Anyway, some leftist sports fans who are taking some time off from sports to watch soccer have staged protests against the Muslim authorities by trying to enter the stadium wearing rainbow symbols or sometimes sweatshirts reading love is love, which are designed to drive the Muslims crazy when they spend hours trying to figure out what it means before realizing it doesn't mean anything. But what's odd about these leftist protesters is that they're the same leftists who thought it was Islamophobic for Americans to object when Muslims came to America and murdered Americans for not believing in their humorless God, but are now themselves objecting to Muslims in their own country enforcing their religious rules so that their humorless God doesn't kill them on the spot. This proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that for leftists, there is absolutely nothing more important in life 
than sodomy. And in fact, they'd rather be sodomized than even live life, which explains why they're watching soccer. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, dipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. Okay, we are back laughing our way through the crumbling dust of what used to be our republic. I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving, but, you know, that's passed already, so it's time to get back to bitterness and rage. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the amazing battle between Elon Musk and the left, by whom I mean China and the American government. And I will tell you the truth about Donald Trump and the Nick Fuentes and uh, Kanye West kerfuffle. And we'll talk to my friend uh, Ying Ma. Uh, You can tell by her name. She's a nice a Norwegian girl. No, she's a Chinese-American, very expert on Chinese affairs. So we'll talk to her what's happening about what's happening over there. This would be an excellent time to subscribe to the Andrew Claven YouTube channel, my personal YouTube channel, where you will get exclusive content. If you ring that little bell, uh, it will signal you that exclusive content is coming. Some guy will just run up to your window and start screaming, here it comes, it's coming, 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 and then crash. You know, the glass will land all over the floor, but exclusive content will come in to your uh, domicile. Uh, and if you leave a comment and the comment is disgusting, uh, morally, uh, you know, repugnant, uh, maybe something Kanye West would say, uh, we will include it on the show because that's how we roll here. Uh, today's comment is from Judy Valencia, who says, <laughs> how can, I, mean, I hope she hears this, how can Mrs. Clavin get any work done at home with such a funny husband? I wouldn't be able to. I would like to know the answer to that, too. I have no idea. I don't, I, I simply don't know. I don't know. She's having so much fun. I don't know how she has any time to get anything done. All right, Christmas is coming, and not only is the goose getting fat, but many of us will be traveling to see our families and loved ones, and you may find yourself away from home more often than not, and that's why The Daily Wire has teamed up with Ring. With Ring security products, you can rest easy knowing that your home and family are safe when you're not there. The Ring doorbell notifies you when guests or packages arrive. Ring's indoor cameras let you keep an eye on kids and pets while you're away. Ring alarm will alert you of any motion detection while the house is empty. Plus, if you add smart lighting around your home, you can turn lights on or off while you're away. Ring's home security products don't just help keep your home and family safe. They make perfect gifts for everyone on your list. Head to ring.com slash collections slash offers to find out how you can live a little more stress-free this holiday season with a Ring product that's right for you. That's ring.com slash collections slash offers. Offers. If it shows anybody coming down the chimney, uh, don't don't call the police on that guy. All right. Advent has begun. That's the run up, obviously, to Christmas. We are waiting uh, and anticipating the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, St. Paul talked about this sense that we have that a new age had begun. The past was ending and a new age had begun with a new kind of future, a Christian future in which we had hope into eternity. Uh, St. Paul wrote the night is far spent. The day is is at hand. Therefore, 
Let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Now, obviously, that's the opposite of the way we're living and behaving now. Uh, The opposite of what most people are actually preaching now. Right and left, we're preaching a lot of lewdness uh, and a lot of strife. On the left, they are mired uh, in sex to a large degree. They believe that whatever uh, your desires are, even if you have the impossible desire of becoming a different sex, uh, that desire defines who you are. That's your identity instead of sex being a natural fleshly force that your true identity, who you really are, uh, your human spiritual self has to channel uh, for to use it for creation and steadfast love instead of using and abusing yourself and other people. Uh, on the right, we've become enamored of money. We, uh, we celebrate Ayn Rand, who wore a dollar sign instead of a cross. Uh, we think the free markets are going to solve everything. Oh, just look how rich it makes everybody. Uh, and instead, we should understand that greed is also a natural fleshly force uh, that can spur creativity, but it has to be curtailed by moral behavior, just like your lust. Now, I happen to be, in truth, a big believer in both sex and money. I love both sex and money. And I think, just to give an example, with your spouse, it's very important uh, that you schedule some time every week uh, to stop screwing and get out of bed and make a living. Uh, That that sounds like a joke. It sounds like a brilliant joke, but uh, it's actually what what I believe. It's pretty much my my entire philosophy of life. Uh, That said, the fact is you only need to look at our country. Uh, It's a free, rich sexually free country, uh, and you notice that our life expectancy is actually going down because people are committing suicide. They're taking drugs, uh, they're doing all the things that hurt you, uh, and they're obviously in despair. The deaths by despair are just rising all the time. So maybe you should think, well, maybe the left and right are both wrong about what our values should be. Now, some of the way we think about the world and some of the errors we're making in politics come directly from our founding fathers. Uh, who talked about natural rights based on the laws of nature and nature's God. Now, our founders were saying something essential. They were saying something really important, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be revisited and embellished or expanded from time to time. They were the founders. They weren't uh, the writers of the Bible. Their words are not inerrant. They're just very important, and they capture a moment. I believe in the founding, the same as I believe in sex and money, uh, and I think we should cling to the founding and work within its tradition. But we also learn new things as the centuries pass and they should be used to enlarge our tradition so we can move into the future. Uh, Daniel McCarthy, he's the editor of a British conservative journal called The Modern Age, and uh, he wrote a wonderful piece. I think it was just today. It was uh, in the British version of The Spectator, but it was uh, reprinted in the New York Post, and I saw it on uh, RCP, uh, Real Clear Politics. And he made a point that I try to make on this show all the time. He said this. He said, when conservatives repeat the mantra that politics is downstream from culture, what many of them imagine is that if the right could only make a few movies on Netflix uh, or Netflix miniseries, uh, the culture war would be won. Popular entertainment does matter, but not as much as the institutions of intellectual culture, which have, after all, time and again, been the laboratories for the next radical trend. Rivers flow from higher elevations All culture is ultimately downstream from the top. And in this case, the top is not just the most prestigious institutions, but the most advanced ideas. This is where the right needs to recognize what it lacks. And what he's saying is the right needs an avant-garde. The right needs uh, thinkers and artists looking into the future about what that's going to look like, what the future is going to look like. 
So let me make a start. Uh, the idea of natural rights based on the laws of nature and nature's God was a very popular idea uh, in the 18th and early 19th century. I write about it in my book, The Truth and Beauty. Uh, the old faith of the Middle Ages uh, was collapsing, had collapsed, uh, and thinkers looked to nature to confirm their yearnings for immortality and for moral justice and their sense that there is a sense to the world. And the founders believed that religion was a good guarantor of general morality, but many of them also believed that an elite thinker uh, who was a good person could simply reason his way to moral law by looking at nature, which is not to say they didn't believe in God, not to say they some, many of them weren't Christians, but they thought God had revealed himself in nature and could be discovered there through reason. It was, remember, the age of reason, and they were very big on reason. Now, another contemporary thinker, uh, the Marquis de Sade, who is the only atheist thinker I uh, truly respect, also used reason to point out that nature has no morality. Nature makes absolutely no distinction between a tornado uh, and a mother with a baby at her breast. It doesn't care. Uh, and so the Marquis thought that the path to happiness was for us to understand that we are part of nature and we should act the way nature acts without regard to morality, with the strong basically abusing the weak uh, for their own pleasure, right? That's what nature does. The powers, powerful things destroy others. Powerful animals hurt others and bully others. And personally, I think that if there is no God, if there is no God to whom we can appeal above nature, uh, and if his ways are not revealed in a manner that is supernatural, that is above nature, then in fact, the Marquis de Sade is right, and Thomas Jefferson is wrong. Morality is a collaboration between nature and the supernatural understanding of the human heart, which can only appeal to reason if we all agree that the human heart is made in the image of God, that it is connected to something beyond nature, beyond what doesn't care about tornadoes and, and nursing mothers. Uh, you can trust me on this, by the way, that reason will not get you to morality. I spent most of my adult life trying to do that, uh, and it can't be done. The belief that you can get to morality purely through reason uh, is why people are always saying to me, don't mention God when you're making your arguments. I get this all the time. People write it to me. People tweet it to me. Uh, they send me all kinds of notices saying, you shouldn't mention God so much. It's like uh, in Faulty Towers when they're talking to Germans, don't mention the war. Uh, you shouldn't talk about God because it's not convincing to non-believers. What good is it to cite the Bible uh, to someone who thinks that the Bible isn't true? And I understand this. I understand that it's not powerful to cite the Bible to someone who doesn't believe the Bible is true. But since you can't make any moral sense without reference to God, instead of retreating from God when we're in discussions with our friends on the left or our friends who are atheists on the right as well, uh, we should force the atheists to confront the nonsense of the heart at the heart of the atheist creed. So if leftists say, well, if morality is relative, uh, you know, morality is relative, therefore we should respect all cultures, we should say, well, if morality is relative, why should we respect anybody? Why shouldn't we act like the Marquis de Sade? Why should we do anything? Why is anything right? And if morality is not relative, why shouldn't we discuss which cultures are more morals, moral than others? When we make arguments purely from nature, purely from reason, we make weak arguments. For instance, we say, we don't say to people, you know, you shouldn't uh, be promiscuous because it degrades the person that God made you to be. It separates you from the person God made you to be. We say, well, illegitimate children are a social problem and you get diseases uh, and you'll be unhappy because of chemical reactions and all this stuff. This is also why, this is the godless reasoning is also why conservatives get confused about money uh, because money-making enterprises like Amazon and Google and Apple, they really do improve society. So people think, well, that's great, but they improve society until they don't. The fact is all of those 
uh, enterprises started out as creative enterprises. They were justly rewarded with money. Then once they had enough money, so much money, the love of money revealed itself to be the root of all evil. And now Google will com- uh, you know, collaborate with China in oppressing people. It will use Chinese slaves. Apple will use Chinese slaves. Uh, Google will cut off information so they can push their woke ideology because all they want is the power. And money, the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's where these guys uh ultimately get. We, we even make arguments for religion. We say religion what makes people more moral. It holds families together. It makes you happier. Uh, that's not why you should believe in religion. You should believe in religion if it is true. And I, you should believe in those religions that are true. Now, as in the days of St. Paul, the past is ending. You know, in the days of the founding, too, the past is ending. On the, on the seal, they said, a new order of the ages. A new age now begins, basically, is on the great seal of the United States. Because that was another time when the past was ending. The mid- Middle Ages uh, were coming to an end. They were over, and they were moving into what they thought was a new age. Was, and it was a new age. And now we're doing the same thing. The old World War II era order of inter- international order is ending. The baby boomers are coming to an end. Thank God. I wish they weren't going to take me with them. But even so, I think it's time for that generation to pass on. There are new technologies coming along. And the only logic that will guide us in moral reasoning to what a new America should look like in a new age is going to be that supernatural collaboration between the human heart, which is made in the image of God, and nature, which simply does not care who we are. So as we form a conservative avant-garde, we shouldn't think we have to be avant-garde like the left because... God has been left behind. God has not been left behind. We've simply gone through a period where atheism made more sense than it is making now. Now, as we see more about science, as we see more about what works and what doesn't work, we understand that God is going to be with us. He must be with us. And only in the light of faith can we rightly choose which of our traditions uh, we can take into the future and which we should leave behind. St. Paul was right. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. This is Advent, not just for believers waiting for the birth of Christ, but it's also Advent for people waiting for the rebirth of a Western tradition that was made in the image of Christ. All right, if you're a small business owner with Christmas coming, I know you want to be spending your time standing online in the post office. No, you don't want to do that. And if you haven't started preparing for the chaos of holiday mailing and shipping, you're already behind. Luckily, Stamps.com has everything you need to make your life much easier. Sign up now and you'll be printing your own postage in minutes. Stamps.com is a one-stop shop for all your shipping and mailing needs. It's a 24-7 post office that you can access from anywhere. No lines, no traffic, no hassle for 20 years. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Get access to the U.S. USPS and UPS services that you need to run your business right from your computer. Even save up to 86% on USPS and UPS shipping rates. Use stamps.com to print postage wherever you do business. All you need is a computer and printer. If you need a package picked up, you can easily schedule it through your stamps.com dashboard. Get ahead of the holiday chaos this year. Get started with stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code CLAVEN for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code CLAVEN. And just use the stamp to send me a note saying, how do you spell CLAVEN? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Now, when I tell you that the past is ending and something new is going to be uh, begin, 
you have to believe me, and I will tell you why. Not only on the show do you get tomorrow's news today, but you know, I am an artist, and artists have a bit of the profit about them. Uh, if you will remember, some of you who read or listened to Another Kingdom, uh, my kind of fantasy suspense trilogy, it was written before Jeffrey Epstein was suicided in prison, uh, but it involved a sex abuse cabal that planned to suicide somebody in prison. So it was actually foretold the future. And now I've written A Strange Habit of Mind, which is about a social media billionaire who is canceling people in a very desperate way. Uh, And it is basically about what's happening the issues that Elon Musk is facing. Elon Musk should read A Strange Habit of Mine, but he probably won't. He's too rich to read anything, probably. But you should. If you should go and buy this book, if you have not ordered this book on Amazon or anywhere, you really should. First of all, you're going to love it. Second of all, you should support the arts, and this is a work of art, and you will like it. And second of all, third of all, it will actually tell you something about what is happening now, because Elon Musk and the fight that he is in and the issues that surround him are at the heart of what is going to happen next. And the reason we know this is they involve almost everything that's happening from here uh, in politics to China. Uh, You know, obviously, Elon has taken over uh, Twitter. He fired a lot of the leftist censors who threw off completely harmless and I would say beneficial people like Jordan Peterson uh, and the Babylon Bee, the second funniest satirist on the Internet. Uh, They were thrown off because they wouldn't stand for the woke cabal who run the embedded government, big media, big Hollywood, the universities, or as they call themselves, the resistance. (laughs) I don't know who they're resisting. They're resisting us. They're resisting individuals. Uh, They're resisting the weak because they are the powerful. Uh, Elon returned uh, Donald Trump, the former president of the United States, who should never have been a former president. He was an acting president at the time they took him off Twitter. He should never have been taken off Twitter. That was an absolute uh, violation of our belief in free speech and this stupid, stupid argument that it is a uh, private business and therefore it has the right to knock off anyone it wants is just a stupid, stupid argument. It is too big, too rich, too powerful, too much of a central uh, area of communication to set for po- political ideas to be censored on it. So now a lot of powerful, oppressive forces are stopping, trying to stop uh, Elon Musk from doing what he's doing. Every single day, the press, who should be the defenders of free speech, are announcing that it's in chaos, it's going to fail, and he's a terrible person, and he's allowing Russian disinformation, none of which is actually happening. Uh, and, and of course, as, as the left is doing here, and by the left I mean the American administration, same thing is happening is in China. Obviously, right now, there are all these protests going on in China. We'll talk to Ying Ma about them uh, in a little while. But basically, after inventing COVID with the funding help of Anthony Fauci, uh, they locked down the country. And the reason they did this was because uh, Xi Jinping was consolidating his power. He was overriding the term limit so he could become a Maoist dictator for life. And he didn't want anybody on the street while he was doing that. But they said it was going to curtail COVID. It's not curtailing COVID. It's hurting the economy. It's actually made people more likely to get COVID now that it's morphed into the easier uh, to catch Omicron variant. They don't have any uh, antibodies against it because they've all been locked away for so long. There was also a fire uh, in a remote western part of China where many of the oppressed Muslim Uyghurs live, and they got out some audio onto social media of people pleading for their lives, but the firemen took three hours uh, to control the fire, and the people there believe it was because of the lockdowns, and that started nationwide protests. And there have always been protests in China, but these are linked up. They are directed directly against the Communist Party, directly against Xi, and that makes them very different. And part of these protests are being supported through and maintained through Elon Musk's 
Twitter. Uh, Musk has helped Ukrainians, you know, in their fight against Russia by supplying them with his internet technology, Starlink. Uh, But they're also using Twitter. Now, Twitter's banned in China, but people get on it through these mask VPNs, and they send out messages to a kind of central guy, a guy with a big following, and he sends that following, uh, he sends his messages out to the West, and the Protests are spreading into the West where people who care about China are actually gathering, uh, demanding more freedom, demanding the lockdowns come to the end. And the Chinese dictators are very, very concerned about uh, Twitter being used to spread speech. And they're looking to act against Twitter. So here's a a Chinese spokeswoman uh, who's been challenged by a Western newsman about these attacks on Twitter. This cut one. When you say that you're going to be monitoring some of the speech on there, if you see something that you don't like, would you try to shut Twitter down? So look, you know, when you when you talk about monitoring, you know, it is, uh, I, I hate to break it to you, Peter, just like everybody else, we very much monitor the news. We pay close attention to everything that you all are reporting and, and Twitter's in the news a lot. And so that's what we're paying attention to. We're paying attention to what is in the news and what is being reported on uh, on the misinformation that's out there. Let's not forget there's groups like NAACP, the Anti-Defamation League, and the public health leaders have been very vocal about their concerns as well. So yes, we are uh, reading what you all are, are writing and, and looking at what you all are reporting uh, about the misinformation uh, that is out there. But you know, I would hope that all Americans, uh, including social media, Media companies, civil rights organizations I just laid out, <laughs> including Fox as well, will agree that uh, we need to, uh, you know, we need to, uh, to, uh, you know, call out hate speech and misinformation. Okay, my mistake. That wasn't a Chinese official. That was actually the White House spokeswoman. Uh, but same difference, right? Because they all, th- they're all threatened uh, by anybody coming on and by free speech. They're threatened by free speech. And the reason they're threatened by free speech, if you follow this logically, no matter where you stand, if you follow this logically, There's only free speech and the speech of the powerful. There is only free speech and the speech of the powerful. There are only two kinds of speech there is. Because if somebody is shutting speech down, it stands to reason he has the power to do that. And if you think powerful people are going to allow speech that threatens their power, you know nothing, nothing, zero percent about human nature. Powerful people will preserve their power at all costs, even if they're duly elected. Uh, It is just not, it's just an illusion that powerful people behave well in this country because for so long we've had elections that threaten them if they behave badly, that threaten them to take their power away if they behave badly. There's only free speech and speech controlled by the powerful, and that is why speech has to be free in order for people to be free. And this is tough on Elon Musk because remember, Elon Musk is fighting with China, helping the protests in China, but Elon Musk's cars, the Teslas, are assembled in China, and that's a a huge market for him. So when they criticize him, when they criticize uh, Elon Musk, it has a chilling effect. It's a threat. It is a threat when the powers that be you know, talk about Elon Musk and say he shouldn't be doing what he's doing. Here's a Chinese official. You can hear the veiled threat. Another, this is another Chinese official making this veiled threat against Elon Musk. This is cut five. Republicans say that um, Democrats are picking on Elon Musk. Elon Musk is doing just fine. But do you think that users have a right to freedom of speech, even if what they're saying is wrong or offensive? I think that one human being should not decide how millions of people communicate with each other. One human being should not be able to go into a dark room by himself and decide, oh, that person gets heard from, that person doesn't. That's not how it should work. 
Okay, I'm sorry, that wasn't a Chinese official. That was uh, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, but same difference, same thing, right? Picking on the people uh, who threaten their speech because she's not picking on Jeff Bezos, who is one person who can control Amazon and also controls the Washington Post. She's not picking on Tim Cook of Apple. And Apple is a real problem. Now, recently, Elon Musk accused Apple of threatening to take Twitter off the App Store. Then they met together and Elon Musk retracted that. I don't know whether he was saying it never happened or he talked him out of it. We just don't know. But now he says that Tim Cook is not threatening him. Uh, but in fact, Apple is against free speech. They are against free, free speech. Tim Cook made a big speech that I played on this show, part of which I played on the show, where he was going to expel so-called hate speech because he was the guy who should make that decision. You try and you don't think he's against free speech? Try and find that speech today. You can't. It's been expunged from the internet because he knew what a f- fool he made out of himself, what a pompous fraud he sounded like, especially while he was running slave labor camps uh, in China and while he was saying stuff like this about China to keep the China markets open. China's done an unbelievable job of lifting people out of poverty. They've done an incredible job, I mean, far beyond uh, what any country has done. We were talking about 19, mid-90s to today. The biggest change is the number of people that have been pulled out of poverty by far. And we should all applaud that. And we should all feel good about it. And so there are, in, in the environmental leadership today is very clear, and it aligns completely with Apple's values. The, the Chinese uh, the uh, environmental Chi- leaders, yes, government. Yes, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're very fixated on, on uh, doing the right things to avert climate change. And this is something that means a lot to us as mm-hmm. well. So when he says his values are aligned with China's, he's, you know, he's, he's a man of his word. He, just, he puts his money where his mouth is. He's helping the Chinese suppress the Chinese protesters by rigging the iPhones, the new iPhones, which uh, have a system, that, you know, I, I won't go into it, but it's a system that helps connect other iPhones. But the Chinese version of it, you can't do it. You can only do it for 10 minutes, and that is keeping people from spreading the word of the protest. So Tim is out there really helping uh, his friends, the Chinese, because their values align with his Namely, the powerful should oppress the weak. Now, luckily for us, our American government so committed to free speech, so committed to freedom of action and free protest, uh, of course, of course, is not going to bother Elon Musk about allowing more speech. It's going to bother Apple about suppressing speech. Uh, Here is John Kirby Kirby from the National Security Council being interviewed uh, by Fox's Martha McCallum. Why not say something to Apple? Because we were just told the other day that the White House is keeping an eye on Elon Musk and Twitter. So why would you say that from the podium? You didn't say it, but Karine Jean-Pierre said it. And not call Apple out for helping the Chinese government to suppress their own people's ability to communicate. Again, I think we've been very clear and consistent on this, uh, certainly publicly. We've been very open about uh, our desires to be able to see citizens communicate. Uh, and, and, you know, Apple, uh, if this is a decision that they're making, then uh, they should have to speak to that. But uh, we, you know, we're not we can't. And we aren't in the business of, of telling private companies how to, to execute uh, their, their initiatives. Yeah, but Twitter's a uh, but private we, company, too. So why is Twitter getting one treatment and Apple's getting another is my question. Well, these are completely two different circumstances. You're talking about the potential. Well, you're talking about the uh, the potential for perhaps uh, foreign investment and involvement uh, in the management of Twitter. That's a different issue than 
what we're talking about here, which is a business decision by Apple with respect to how one of their uh, applications is being well, utilized. Certainly, Those they're getting influenced by, the, by a foreign government, but, uh, and that government is China. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, I got that wrong too. In fact, we're doing nothing to stop Apple from suppressing protests, but we are. Our government is, in fact, bullying uh, Elon Musk. Listen. You know, I was watching Martha's face there. It's very funny. I'm sure a girl as uh, beautiful as Martha McCallum has been lied to by a lot of men. And you can tell she knew that it was happening there. Uh, you know, the U.S. is has been suppressing the news here. We knew, know that government officials told Facebook to suppress the Hunter Biden story. Uh, and Google, obviously, has been working with the uh, deep state to suppress the kind of information we get. If you search certain things, you do not get them. I have to go on DuckDuckGo to get the kind of information. Uh, information that's not geared toward supporting the left wing. Uh, and Elon Musk is base, has basically uh, released, it says he's going to release in-house Twitter communications that in his words show that Twitter interfered in elections. Those are his words. It interfered in elections. And obviously he's talking about the suppression of the Hunter Biden news as well as other news. You know, Elon Musk, uh, talking about relying too much on the free market, uh, Elon Musk can't save us from what is happening in this country. They turn against free speech, which is a direct result of the dishonesty of the left. They cannot have anybody say the emperor isn't wearing any clothes, so they have to shut down the little boy who says, oh, look, the emperor, emperor is naked. That's why they can't. They don't believe in free speech anymore because all of their ideas are untrue. It's not true that a man can become a woman. It's not true that uh, you know government help actually raises people out of poverty. It's not true that more government is going to make us more free or happy or anything like that. So they lie. They cannot let anybody say that they're lying. And so that's why they are suppressing uh, speech. And Elon Musk can't do anything about that alone, but he can act courageously. He can act courageously to show the way so that we, we understand, so that the voters understand left and right, because this isn't a left and right issue. It's, it, I mean, it's a left and right issue, but it's not a Democrat-Republican issue. He can show the way so that we see the hypocrisy of the government. We see that the hypocrisy in Washington is china light right now. It's, it's not China. Of course it's not. But it's china light. And when he shows that, we can relearn our principles. And as we go forward, we can recommit ourselves to free speech. I think it's going to take regulation. It's regulation that gave social media the power that has. It's regulation that can take it away. Speech should be regulated to ensure that all opinions are represented. It can be regulated. It should be regulated. The government, the First Amendment protects us from the, protects us from government attacks on free speech, but the government is instituted among men to guard our God-given rights, one of which is the right to speak freely. They should act against social media to make sure that social media cannot censor us anymore. Not going to happen, obviously, with the Biden administration because they are just China light, but it's going to happen in the future. We got to make sure that it does. Ah, oh, Bull and Branch sent me some sheets. They are so comfortable. I get to really enjoy them all night long because I'm wide awake. But you probably want to sleep in them because they're good for that, too. And if you want to enjoy the holidays to the fullest, you probably want to get some rest, which is easier than it sounds if you have the softest, 
most luxurious organic cotton sheets from Bowl and Branch. Bowl and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on earth. Their signature hemmed sheets were made with threads so luxurious that three U.S. presidents have slept in them and they're actually still in my bed right now. Bowl and Branch sheets actually soften with every wash cycle. They come in nine neutral colors and all mattress sizes. Their signature sheets come wrapped in a beautiful holiday gift box. Bowl and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders. You want want to return them. I'm telling you, they're really comfortable. Give the gift of a better night's sleep this holiday season with Bowl and Branch. Take advantage of their Cyber Week sale, 25% off site-wide, plus free shipping when you use promo code Claven at bowlandbranch.com. That's Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code Claven. The offer ends December 4th, so by that time, you really want to find out how to spell Claven. Here it is. All right, with all this stuff going on in China and the effect it's going to have here eventually, I wanted to bring on my friend uh, Ying Ma first because she's my friend and she's great, but she's also the president of the American Ideals Pack, the author of Chinese Girl in the Ghetto, a really good memoir, uh, and a a wonderful speaker on the subject of America's relationship with China. Ying, it is great to see you. How are you doing? Drew, great to see you as well. Thanks very much for having me on. No, it's a it's a pleasure. I mean, one of the things I've always admired about you is that you are a very you're kind of a realist about China. You you don't kind of pound the podium and demand that we go to war with them. But you also you worked with Trump and you also have a pretty stern moral uh, uh, guidance system. So give me a, a general idea of where you stand in our relationships with with China, and what that should look like. Well, I think that we obviously should be realistic about China being our number one adversary in the 21st century. They're the only country in the world that can challenge our global influence, and they are challenging it in every possible way, economic, um, uh, you know, military, uh, national security, uh, uh, um, medical. Um, You know, we all remember that they kind of uh, held on to their PPEs um, and, and and barred us uh, from proper access at the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, they, so China challenges it, uh, U.S. leadership of the world in every possible way. Um, and, you know, and, and, and when it comes to, to issues like human rights, uh, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk a bit about um, later, um, that's an area where we have a fundamental disagreement with China, and I'm firmly for um, for the position that we ought to be very clear about what American ideals stand for. Um, after all, I am the president of a, an organization called the American Ideals Pack, um, AmericanIdealsPAC.com. Um, however, um, I, I do also believe that we shouldn't um, do unnecessary warmongering, that, you know, a war between a military conflict between the United States and China will look a lot worse than every conflict we've been engaged in since 9-11 combined. And and, and so sometimes people are a little bit too cavalier about what that means. And I don't think many people who talk about uh, this issue actually have a full understanding of of how horrifying that such a military conflict might look like. So um, I think that's probably a a brief description of of where I stand on the issue. Okay, fair enough. So so they've they locked down this country. It's been like three years. Basically, they locked it down. There's there's some opinion that sounds kind of reasonable to me that they didn't lock it down really to stop the COVID. They locked it down because Xi Jinping was busy taking over 
uh, the, the country and becoming dictator for life. Uh, do you, are they sincere in their attempts to get rid of COVID, do you think? I, I think they are, but I, I think this all needs to be viewed in the context of what communism is really about. It's ultimately about control. And, in, and even despite the vast economic progress that the Chinese economy has made in the past four decades or so, um, China remains at its heart a communist country. The regime is at its heart a communist organization. It has a communist structure. And so what they their the, the first instinct of the leadership is to control the people. And so when they were were uh, confronted with this once in a lifetime pandemic, their first response, as we all saw in um, when the outbreak emerged in Wuhan was, all right, we're gonna just lock down the city. And they succeeded in doing that. And, and, and let's not forget that they also bragged about having done that because we certainly here in the United States, as well as in most Western democracies, we were having a lot of trouble convincing um, ordinary citizens that this was good for them. We didn't want to be locked down and we wanted to know what the scientific justifications were, you know, from mass mandates to children not being able to go to school in person and so on. And, and I think in many ways, we've kind of worked through um, a lot of these fundamental differences in Western, in Western democracies or liberal democracies in general. We're certainly not done with our disagreements but in china they never actually had a chance to do that the first response was a lockdown and they bragged about how successful they were in preventing the spread of COVID in the early days of the pandemic but what we've seen is that their formula um, has not panned out very well when the more contagious omicron variant took over and so um what we've seen is that the original lockdown of wuhan um when it's when the Chinese government decided to um, to go through a very draconian lockdown of the city of Shanghai um, during the spring, I mean that was horrifying to see, not just for outside observers, but for all the people in the wealthiest country, wealthiest city in that country, who thought that you know they were part of the middle class, emerging middle class, upper middle class, what have you, people who were working for high flying companies, people who had dreams about you know about economic prosperity. They were all locked down and 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 it was so draconian they couldn't move around they couldn't mm. even i mean there were huge shortages for people mm. who were white yeah. you know and and so um it's not only draconian for for people who are poor but it's also draconian for all those people who went to work prior to this in office buildings people you know who yeah. who were who owned iphones and played around on social media um you know with their their videos and 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 other images um and and i think that's when the that's when the failure of the chinese system kind of sunk in so these that, these protests they're they're fairly widespread some of them are taking place in your hometown right the uh correct, Kwang, correct. Kwang Zhu, yeah so yeah so i was born uh, in the city how of serious Zhou. how serious are these they're very serious. They? This is, I think, the most p serious political challenge that the Chinese government has faced um, since the Tiananmen ma massacre of 1989. So that, though, um, at that back in 1989, basically, um, student protests for democracy were put down um, by brute force, and and we remember the massacre of of students protesting and demanding democracy. Now, um, the protests today um, in China they're very different from from protests we've seen in recent 
decades in China or recent years in China. So ever since the 1989 massacre, the Chinese regime has gone about focused uh, like a laser beam on how to diffuse and put down protests across the country. Now, this doesn't mean that protests haven't happened in China. And I think this is where a lot of commentators have missed the mark. Protests have happened in China um, regularly, um, you know, throughout recent decades. Um, now, what is different about the protests we've been seeing in recent days is that whereas in the past, even though there have been lots and lots of protests throughout China, throughout the country, many of them um, um, were localized. They were certainly not connected to each other. Um, and many of them were sort of not uh, about challenging the legitimacy of the regime. In, you know, so for instance, if they're are workers at a factory who um, were protesting about not getting their wages on time right. or not getting efficient wages, you know, that that was localized to that factory. Uh, even though we saw lots of factories all across China having those kinds of protests in recent decades, or, you know, we saw people protesting, a, 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 you know, a, against environmental degradation, because, you know, air they couldn't breathe, water they couldn't drink, um, all kinds of other problems that were giving them illnesses. Um, you know, we, we saw lots of protests on the, those fronts, but we were not uh, until I, an, until the COVID protests, um, where the government subjected everybody across the country to very draconian, very repressive restrictions. Um, we were not seeing protests that were focused on the same topic that were sort of connected e to each other, both sort of in sentiment as well as an action. And so that's why we saw all these, um, not only do, do have we seen migrant workers, um, you know, yelling and throwing things at the police, but we're seeing, you know, students across the country waving a blank sheet of paper right. as a sign of protest against the Chinese government. And so I think it's that linkage that's such a big challenge for the Chinese government. But the thing is, I mean, we see these, more and more, we see these protests arising in, in oppressive countries Iran, but they, they don't seem to pay off at all. And, you know, with Tiananmen Square, for instance, not only did they slaughter a lot of those people, but the weasels in Hollywood like cut out images of Tiananmen Square so they don't get uh, they don't lose the Chinese market. Uh, they've that that incredible image of the guy standing in front of a tank uh, gets squelched by our people. Sometimes are these Hong Kong was basically swallowed by China without anybody saying boo over here. Are these just going to go away? I mean, is, is Xi just going to crush them, do you think? Or do you think they have some chance of of making change uh, before they go back or what? What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it, it's a difficult, it's a difficult question to answer. And, and I think you know more about the weasels in Hollywood. Than <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. You know yeah. I, I, you've seen them up close and personal. It, you know, I, I think you're right that just because there are protests, it doesn't mean that it's going to lead to um, an overthrow of the government, for example. Um, I, I don't that I don't think that's what we're talking about. The, the way that the Chinese government has handled protests in recent years and decades is that they've perfected a formula. You know, there are massive um, sort of um, um, there's a massive network of surveillance technologies, practices, and, and that includes everything from actual equipment, you know, the cameras to, you know, to cell phone. Um, um, software that tracks people to to actual sensors sitting behind a computer censoring content on the internet. And so 
um, since 1989, the Tiananmen Massacre, these sort of controls, I, would, I suppose that we, we can call them authoritarian controls, the, re, the controls um, utilized by the, the people who repress dissent, um, I think they've been improved. And, and I, I think the Chinese government today has a vast array of these tools that they didn't used to have. And some of these tools have been provided to them by Western companies, technologies, for instance, or and some of them, some, you know, of course, China steals massively on, on the technology front. So some of them, they, they've perfected at home. Um, now, now, we are seeing a lot more dissent, political dissent everywhere. And, and it cuts across um, the, you know, the, the, the lines of, of age, gender, you know, ethnicity, for instance. And so we're seeing, for instance, people in China, you know, people of, of the Han ethnicity, which is, you know, um, the vast majority. These people normally do not have a whole lot of empathy for the Uyghur Muslims in mm. Xinjiang province. You know, right. so we've obviously seen some one million people in internment camps in, in Xinjiang province. But then the COVID policies have kind of all brought all of these people together because they're all suffering from the same very repressive policies. But but just because that has happened doesn't mean that the the, the protests will necessarily, you know, um, bring about a downfall of the government. And I, I don't think I don't think most people are suggesting that what is likely to happen is that the government will make concessions and it has begun to do so. It has you know, it has hinted at loosening the COVID policy restrictions in my hometown, the city of Guangzhou. They, you know, they've the the government there has issued um, directives saying they, you know, an ordinance saying they will loosen up some of these restrictions. And so, and I think we have seen the government do a lot of these things in in um, past years to respond to protests. On the one hand, there is a very aggressive um, um, way of repress, you know, of violence from the police, from the public security apparatus. So they deploy all the violent tactics and measures available at the discretion of, of the state. But at the same time, they will sort of let people blow off steam a little bit and they will address mm -hmm. some of the concerns raised by the protesters. Now, will that be enough? Because once the country opens up some more and because China is not exactly prepared for the Omicron variant, you know, more people will get sick. Um, that's what the health experts are predicting. And so, you know, will will a, you know, a rising number of COVID cases, deaths and illnesses, will that then lead to um, additional discontent, you know, uh, of the, the inability of the state to actually address the health um, conditions of the country. So the Chinese government right now has a, a, a super hot potato on its, its hands. But I think a lot of the protesters themselves um, are also trying to be careful not to cross too many lines because I think they want the COVID restrictions to go away, but they don't want to be locked up for 20, 30 years themselves either. So it's a tricky situation. Um, it, it's being played out on a massive scale. So, so you know, we're obviously keeping a keen eye on it for many of us here in the U.S. I, you know, I, I only have like 30 seconds. Is there something that you think that America should do that it's not doing? 
I, I think the president ought to be very clear that we stand with the protesters. He has shied away from doing so. And I, I think one reason is because he's, he, he, I, I give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to say it's because he's cowardly. I, I, I suspect he's being advised by people who say that if you get involved, the Chinese government will say that these protests are being funded and, and okay. inspired by the United States. And I think um, that's kind of, that's not particularly good advice because I think these protests, because the Chinese government is already accusing yeah. the protesters of being American funded. So let's just have our president go out there and say that we stand with the protesters and we stand for freedom of speech and we're against draconian COVID Yeah, they're too busy beating up on Elon Musk. All right, I got to stop there, Ying Ma. Tell us again where we can find you, American Ideals. So, so the uh, website for my organization is AmericanIdealsPAC.com, AmericanIdealsPAC.com, and, and my personal blog is Yingma.org, Y-I-N-G-M-A.org. Thanks very much, Ying. It's great to see you, and I'll see you soon. Thank you, Drew, as always. All right, if you like coffee, and I don't like coffee, I love coffee, I live for coffee. Black Rifle Coffee Company is helping you knock out your holiday shopping with a ton of awesome new products this year. Shop the best brewing gear, thermoses, mugs, and apparel designed for folks who love country and love coffee. It'd make a good gift for me if you want to send me something. Black Rifle sources the most exotic roast from around the globe. All coffee is roasted here in the U.S. by veteran-led teams of coffee experts. Stuff your Christmas stockings with the latest roast from America's coffee for 10% off with my code CLAVEN. Better yet, sign your secret Santa up for a coffee club subscription. Imagine the joy of a pre-scheduled coffee delivery, your favorite roast, when you need them most. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Black Rifle Coffee Company is veteran-founded and operated. They take pride in serving coffee and culture to people who love America. Every purchase you make with Black Rifle helps support veterans and first responder causes. Go to blackriflecoffee.com and use promo code CLAVEN for 10% off coffee, coffee gear, apparel, or when you sign up for a new coffee club subscription. That's blackriflecoffee.com with promo code CLAVEN for 10% off Black Rifle Coffee supporting veterans and America's coffee. Just like all good veterans, you have to know how to spell Claven to get that deal. It is K-L-A-V-A-N. No E's in Claven. I just make it look this easy. Now, I have to talk about this Nick Fuentes thing, because as we go into the future, we have to talk about Donald Trump uh, and who we are as well, as who the left is. Now, you, you probably know the story by now. Kanye West went to have dinner with Trump to ask Trump to be his vice presidential candidate in Kanye West's 2024 presidential run, which I'm sure Trump thought was great. Uh, and Kanye West, who is an anti-Semitic lunatic, he's a nutbag. He's a, a guy with a mental illness. Uh, he went, but he brought with him Nick Fuentes, who is not a guy with a mental illness, who is an actual anti-Semite uh, garbage guy. You know, he's a guy with an evil philosophy, right? And he's a Holocaust denier. He's a guy who once said that Jim Crow segrega segregation was good for, quote, them and good for, quote, us. Uh, and uh, here's just a cut of, of Fuentes uh, joking about how the Holocaust couldn't have happened mathematically. Cut three. Max says, if I take one hour to cook a batch of cookies and Cookie Monster has 15 ovens working 24 hours a day every day for five years, how long does it take Cookie Monster to make six million batches of cookies? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, no. 
It doesn't really sound correct to me. Wait a second. It takes one hour to cook a batch of cookies, and you have 15 ovens, pr- probably in four different kitchens, right? Doing 24 hours a day every day for five years. How long would it take you to make $6 million? Hmm, I don't know. It certainly wouldn't be five years, right? Uh, the math doesn't seem to add up there. So there he is being snarky about, you know, mothers and their children being led en masse into gas chambers and exterminated. That's what he's making jokes about. Uh, that make you know, I'm sorry, but that makes you a garbage person. Uh, whenever I attack uh, Fuentes, I get comments, plenty, lots of comments from his followers saying, why don't you debate Nick Fuentes? And I've explained this before, but I'll explain it again. Here's a mind experiment. If a, if scientists came out and they said, we've done tests, genetic tests, and we've found out uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we've proved our tests will show that there's no difference between women and men. There's no emotional difference. There's no mental difference. There's no uh, psychological or, uh, you know, uh, uh, feeling difference. Uh, and that's what our test shows. What would you say? You'd say, I don't care what your test shows. That's crap. That's crap, right? So I don't care whether Nick Fuentes wins or loses a debate. Never mind against me, who doesn't really care about debating. But even if he beat, not likely, but if he beat Shapiro in a debate, it wouldn't matter. I would say the same thing. I don't care what he believes. It's crap. You're laughing at uh, children being murdered. You're laughing at anybody being murdered. Uh, You you know, your philosophy sucks. Your philosophy sucks. It doesn't matter whether you win a debate. It doesn't matter how clever you are. You know, I had something I had a, a school teacher tell me when I was a kid. He said, it doesn't matter how smart you are if you have the manners of a pig. Well, it doesn't matter how smart you are if you have the moral philosophy of a wolf either. So Kanye, who has an excuse because he's mentally ill, he's a sick person, uh, went on the Tim cast and Tim uh, Poole's a good guy. He challenged him because he was uh, saying the press are all Jews and the Jews are after me. And uh, the minute he challenged him, the minute Tim challenged him, uh, Kanye stormed out. But then he came back and he took with Fuentes, he's traveling around with Fuentes now, uh, he went on Uh, Alex Jones' Infowars, and this is what he said. This is cut uh, 12. I see good things about Hitler also. The Jew, I love everyone, and Jewish people are not going to tell me, you can love, um, you know, us, and you can love what we're doing to you with the contracts, and you can love what we're, you know, what we're pushing with the pornography. But this guy that invented highways, invented the very microphone that I use as a musician. You can't say out loud that this person ever did anything good, and I'm done with that. I'm done with the classifications. Every human being has something of value that they brought to the table. Especially Hitler. Especially Hitler. I, I, I had forgotten that Hitler had invented the highway and the microphone because it is obviously completely untrue. That's why it slipped my mind. Uh, let's play the next cut, too. He's wearing, and he's wearing this balaclava thing, this black mask, so you can't see his face. Uh, I don't blame him for that. But here's uh, cut 13. I like Hitler. I, I don't like Hitler. And I know you're trying to be shocking with that. I'm not trying to be shocking. I like Hitler. I do not. I The, the Holocaust is not what happened. Let's look at the facts of that. And Hitler has a lot of redeeming qualities. <laughs> now, I, I shouldn't laugh. You know it's a bad habit of mine to laugh at human corruption. I shouldn't laugh. But the, the look on Alex Jones's face when he realizes that he's not the craziest person in the room, he's <laughs> going like, wait a minute, I'm out of a job if this guy's going to be. It's <laughs> my, my job to be a lunatic, you know? So... So he's going on there. I, I don't know. He was knocked off. They knocked Kanye off Twitter, frankly, uh, because he put up a swastika or something like that. Frankly, I, I'm fine with Kanye being on Twitter. We can take Kanye. We can uh, ridicule him out of court. I think it's better for him to be on Twitter. I wouldn't mind if they censored his music, which is garbage. Uh, but, but for me, he has two strikes against him. He's nuts and he's a rapper. Uh, loving Hitler. Yeah, that's strike three. So he's out. 
But Fuentes doesn't have the excuse of being crazy. So what about Trump? What about Trump? Now, everybody says that Trump was trolled, and, and Fuentes is good at this. He was in a picture once with uh, Michael Knowles, who didn't know who he was, you know, so he set up Knowles. Uh, he's good at insinuating himself into places. Uh, Trump apparently didn't know who he was. He didn't, uh, you know, Trump does not have a, as far as I'm concerned, an anti-Semitic bone in his body. Uh, I don't think he's a racist. I don't think Trump is a racist. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, that's true. Obama, a lot of people have pointed this out. Obama hung out with raving anti-Semites like Farrakhan uh, and uh, uh, Al Sharpton, terrible anti-Semites, and he hung up, never had to say a word about it, never had to defend himself, nothing. All of that's true. Boo-hoo. Life is unfair. Life in America is unfair because our press is corrupt, our press is corporate, and our press is leftist. Life is unfair. So it's unfair. However, however, I, so I'm not blaming Trump for anything. I'm not associating him with Fuentes. I'm not saying that he's the person. And I know the left is doing that. And we're all now we're all anti-Semitic. And it's, it's just ridiculous that the party of, uh, you know, Rashida Tlaib is going to call us anti-Semitic. So that's that's ridiculous. All of that's ridiculous. Trump has no class. He is a man without class. I don't mean born to the manner born class. I'm not talking about elite class. Listen, my, my grandfather was a, a Jew pawnbroker in the slums of, of Baltimore. I'm not, I'm not ta- I don't care a damn about that. I'm a full-fledged Republican-American, small r. I, I don't care where you came from. It's who you are. Trump has no class in the true, meaningful sense of the word. It's fine for him to get fooled. It's fine for him to get uh, have Fuente sneak in. What you do in that situation, you say, oh, Lord, I didn't know who this guy is, but now I do, and I reject utterly everything he stands for. The only thing he says is, oh, I got screwed, you know. He was trying to be vice president, and only people are only going to vote for Trump. No class whatsoever. You do stand up again. This is ugly, ugly, ugly stuff. You do stand up against it. You do have something to say about it. Everybody should have something to say about it. We, we've got to get beyond, obviously, this. Anything, anytime people talk about race, they're usually talking nonsense. But, you know, in, in, until you can explain to me why Bernie Madoff is the Jews, but Albert Einstein is a Jew, why Judas is the Jews, but Jesus Christ is a Jew, until you can explain that to me, just shut up about race. Because everything people say about race, the minute they start talking about race, they're talking nonsense. They're talking garbage. So Trump should dismiss it. And the fact that he doesn't is hurtful to all of us. It's hurtful in two ways. One, it's hurtful because it, it pins all of us with his, uh, his reluctance to turn away from these guys. He doesn't turn away from them because some of the people who follow him are anti-Semitic. They are anti-Black. They are bigots. They do believe that the Holocaust was, a, was some kind of hoax or whatever. Uh, and he doesn't want to alienate them. He doesn't want to alienate them. That's why he doesn't do it. Anybody who loves him, he's not going to attack them. That's one thing. The second thing is that kind of classlessness is contagious because the people who love Trump end up defending him. And when you end up defending him, you partake of his classlessness. And that is just, that's that's a shame. That makes classlessness spread. If, listen, I, I voted for Trump twice. If he runs against another leftist, I'll vote for him again if I have to, if I have to. Because, you know, obviously the people he's running against, the Hillary Clintons of the world, uh, the Joe, Joe Bidens of the world, are no better than he is. They're just as bad as he is. But still, I don't want bad. I want good. I want a new American generation. I want a new American age of new American leadership. And we need that. We need it. If you don't think character matters, take a look at all the things around named after George Washington, the Washington Monument, Washington, D.C., the state of Washington, the street Washington in your hometown, and 
another hometown. There must be a dozen towns named Washington more in this country. Why? Because of the guy's character. The guy's character shaped the country. His moral virtue shaped the country. Abraham Lincoln read about Washington and modeled himself on Washington, and that shaped the country. If you don't think character has an effect, you're not paying attention. It's not enough. It's not enough to make the economy work. It's not enough even to do a good job as president, which he did. You got to have a little class. You got to have a little virtue. You got to have a little character. Like I said, if I have to vote for him, I will. But when I look to the future, when I look to the future, I'm looking for the next guy who comes along and who can control his lusts and can control his greed and can control his philosophy to bring it into line with that moral virtue, which God shows us in our collaboration with nature. It's been a tough year for the economy, and that means that essential practical gifts will be in high demand. Give the most essential gift of all, America's best meat and seafood from Good Ranchers. With discounts on orders of five boxes or more, you can save on gifts for the whole family. When you give a box of Good Ranchers, you're giving them a true steakhouse experience with 100% American USDA prime and upper choice cuts of beef, chicken, and seafood. Other meat delivery companies and even your local grocery stores import lower quality meat from overseas. Don't give your friends and family less than America's best this year. If you're not sure what to order, Good Ranchers now offers gift cards so you can let your friends and family members choose for themselves or give the gift of a subscription and inflation-proof someone's meat budget. Go to GoodRanchers.com and use code Clavin at checkout to get $35 off your gift. That's GoodRanchers.com, code Clavin for $35 off. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. And while you're eating that great meat, you can say, how do you spell Clavin? How do you spell Clavin? K-L-A-V-A-N. So last Friday, we launched the brand new biblical series by Dr. Jordan B. Peterson. Uh, The series is called Exodus, and in it, Jordan sits down with other scholars to read the book of Exodus and discuss what it means and why it remains significant thousands of years after it was written. Other scholars at the table include Dennis Prager and Jonathan Peugeot, both of whom I know, both of whom are well able to discuss these things. Uh, Episodes one, two, and three are available to stream right now, and there will be new episodes releasing weekly. Now, I have not had time to see this, but I am hearing such great things. I kid you not. People are telling me that this thing is great. And just the fact that the general culture is not engaging with such an important topic discussed by such high-minded scholars tells you that they don't want to look at this, but you should look at it. So here's a clip. The Hebrews created history as we know it. You don't get away with anything. And so you might think you can bend the fabric of reality and that you can treat people instrumentally and that you can bow to the tyrant and violate your conscience without cost. You will pay the piper. It's gonna call you out of that slavery into freedom, even if that pulls you into the desert. And we're gonna see that there's something else going on here that is far more cosmic and deeper than what you can imagine. The highest ethical, spirit to which we're beholden is presented precisely as that spirit that allies itself with the cause of freedom against tyranny. And yes, there, there exactly. Is that I want villains to get punished. But do you want I, the I, villains to learn before they have to pay the ultimate price? That's such a Christian question. <laughs>
I think I also noticed Askinis uh, in there, a very, very good Christian uh, apologist. Uh, so these are important, intelligent people discussing important intelligent stuff. You got to be a member to watch. So head to dailywire.com slash subscribe to become a member and watch Exodus today. So a couple of weeks ago, I received a gift that I was really uh, flattered and honored to receive. Uh, this painting, if you're watching, you can see it, this painting of William Wordsworth, who, of course, is one of my heroes and one of the subjects of my book, uh, The Truth and Beauty. And uh, it's it's really a terrific painting. It's just incredibly dynamic and colorful. It's by Arthur Kwan Lee, who in 2019 was uh, voted Artist of the Year and shortly thereafter was blacklisted by the New York City art world. Uh, he is uh, committed to revitalizing both Christianity and masculinity uh, through his paintings. We'll show you some more of them if we can. But I wanted to talk to him about what happened because he is one of, of course, many, many artists who are being blacklisted uh, for not basically pulling the leftist uh, cart. Uh, Arthur, it's great to see you. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on, Andrew. It's a pleasure. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you, and thank you again in person for the the painting. Uh, what first of all, the, to be the artist of the year, where does that come from? Who who votes for that? So there's a couple different programs, but there's a residency program uh, called the Aline Family Foundation, and they're really internationally known, and it's very competitive to get in. And um, I got in, and within you know my time working with these six different art dealers in New York City, I was this rising artist, we'll say, right? And I was essentially in social camouflage about my conservative and traditional values and getting heavily vetted, but eventually got to the point where I, I started to speak up and stand up for what's right. And obviously that did not line up with that, the ideological plantation of, of the woke narrative in New York City. <laughs> so this story has been heard ad nauseum through, through the Daily Wire, of course, but you know this is happening, of course, in the fine art world as well. So I, I lost all those relationships and I'm independent now. Did anybody, you know, when I was kind of kicked out of Hollywood, nobody ever said to me, oh, you know, we can't stand your politics. In fact, many times they would say, oh, politics has nothing to do with it, but it's just the phone it's just stopped ringing. Uh, and, and people who loved my work would say, yeah, we don't want to work with him, but never give a reason. Did you ever get directly confronted for your opinions? No, they all, the art world, especially in New York City, is very small. Right. So, so it's, you know, they all pretty much know each other and um, you work up through association. You hang out at the, at the right bars, the right clubs that they all hang out with regularly throughout the week. So, so there's a in-circle network going on. Right. So I just got ghosted. Really? You got ghosted? <laughs> I just, it's, it's, it, yeah. I just got ghosted. Like, like, you know, it's, uh, they just stopped responding to me altogether. Once I, um, they, the, the big thing as of now, uh, I, I believe all these art galleries are today are just arms of propaganda today. You know, oh. all these sigils, the, the black flag with the black lives matter white letters and the rainbow flag this is all propaganda so all the art that's proliferated today it, it's all um you know it's a part of collectivism and so you know there you have to sort of uh keep your mouth shut if you're conservative and especially christian so i i just kind of um it was deleterious that i was dealing with it but i was having quite a bit of success because the actual beauty of my work was transcending their the echo chamber. Yeah, yeah. But then once a man speaks, right? Once a man speaks, <laughs> that's a different story. <laughs> no, I, I, I know, you know, when new producers would come to town, they would read a stack of a hundred screenplays and call two people. And I was always one of them, but then I'd never hear from them again. Once they, they Googled me and found out what I was talking about. Uh, you know, the, the, 
now, I mean, I, because I know how this goes, you now are barred, right? You're not going to get the kind of review, say, in the New York Times or some uh, mainstream art magazine that would make your name. You're not going to get that review anymore. So you're depending on what? How do you now proceed as an artist? So I, I will tell you, this, uh, this is a deep conversation because, you know, I've often thought about why do good men not speak up at the numbers that we ought to. And you know, because of what I experienced, I'm seeing that it's it's one thing to be hated, Andrew. It's another to be hated and poor, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is basically the reason why most people are afraid to speak up. Because if you have your kids here and the HR lady can basically castigate you for having the wrong opinions, right, that, then that's, that's disconcerting. So what I was dealing with was basically a, a similar situation in the art realm. So um, when it was happening, I was feeling like most conservative artists today, which is homeless. You know, we don't have a place to go. But looking now in retrospect, I feel free of those constraints. Because while I was obsessed with revitalizing masculinity and Christianity in a positive light, in a wholesome, benevolent sort of aesthetic, um, I wasn't able to speak up about it. But now I'm talking to Andrew Clavin on The Daily Wire. You know, so, so now, now I'm in this place where I'm kind of rebuilding. So, um, you know, I'll tell you, usually you get patronage through the gallery circuit as well, because they're connected with these uh, whales, so to speak. But what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm, I'm reaching out to people saying, listen, you can collectively do this. So you can proliferate the production of art that is morally in line with Western values. And, you know, rather, rather than just saying politics is not from culture, actually actively produce culture or patronage those who are in the cultural fight. Yeah, it's really, it's tough. You know, conservatives love to talk about the culture, but when you, you know, ask them to show up, a lot of times they're thinking, well, I'd rather, you know, give my money to this, the third congressional district in Ohio or something like this. Uh, and, it, you know, it's really hard. It's really hard to make. Well, well, this, this is why, this is why I, lo- I love you guys at the Daily Wire, frankly, because I, I look at, generally speaking, when I see this tug of war, I, I see, I mean, look at the left, right? I look at the right. And what is the strategy? Every time I see this from a bird's eye view, you know, the right is the, Pew polling, the pie charts, the spreadsheeting, they stoically gather the rental evidence. That's fine. But the left, they have ownership of big tech, academia, art, Hollywood, entertainment, influence. So they rather influence people because the reality is, is that human beings are romanticists masquerading as pragmatists, right? We're actually romantic. We actually have a North Star of some kind of vision we want to base our journey onto. We have something, in, so we have an image in our mind. That's the reality of the human condition. So the left understands that without articulating that because they are less logical, but they're going to build up from there. Yeah. So it, it, it's kind of like on us to kind of step up in that regard. Then. Yeah, I agree. Let's take a, a, a couple of looks at uh, your painting. It's a painting of Christ. Beautiful, beautiful painting. It looks like a, a stained glass window. What, what do you... I don't want to ask you what your painting means. Obviously, the point of the painting is the painting. But when you go into this, you're talking about Christianity. You're talking about masculinity. What is it you want us to know about Christianity and masculinity in a broad sense? So I'll say the reason why I painted Christ Pantocrator. First, you can, um, you know, before somebody calls this blasphemous or whatever, just Google Christ Pantocrator. There's, there's thousands of paintings depicting Christ in this warrior sort of spirit and tone. Um, I painted this because I was seeing all these churches um sort of losing their gonads during <laughs> the pandemic where, yes. where they're all closing uh-huh. you know what I mean? and, and that has to do with the lack of masculinity let's be honest here because masculinity is the characteristic that ident- draws these identifiable boundaries and standards and expectations that's really where it comes from so i think we're lacking actual wholesome masculinity 
And I wanted to depict Christ in this way because I'm noticing with all these, uh, you know, with, with Christianity today, we need to remember that it's not this miasmic Buddhist boundary dissolving love. No, if, if you, you know, if you tolerate everything, you don't believe in anything. And I feel like as Christians, we can't just be so, um, we can't keep being such spineless jellyfish in a way. We need to sort of make people recognize that it's not, yes, we are inclusive. Yes, we want people to accept Christ. We want, imp- we want to invite others in, but we also need to stand up for what's right and call out evil. And that's why I painted Christ in this manner. Actually, this Lux Nova around him is bloody because I'm theatric in that way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just before, so I don't forget, uh, we're talking to Arthur Kwan Lee, a very talented painter. Uh, Where where do people go if they want to see your work, if they want to find, you know, maybe even buy your work, where would they go? Um, not in any gallery at the moment. Yeah, they want nothing to do with me. I'm too yeah. hot for them. <laughs> but um, you, you know, you know, I'm I'm solo as of now. But you can go to my website arthurquinley.com, and my primary social media is uh, Instagram because it's an image board. Um, Arthur Quinley as well. You can find me in both of those. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so now I, I cannot imagine seeing a painting like this in a first-rate New York. Gallery. I mean, I've been in first-rate New York galleries, and the stuff—I I think it's garbage. But like, you know, it's not—it's yeah. not recognizable in any way. Are you working in a tradition, or are you inventing something fresh? Uh, are these things? It, when when I think of who you're coming from, what, where you're coming from, who informs your work? So, so I'll first say um, we can break down aesthetics a little bit here quickly. Um, the actual, like, I, I've worked in the gallery scene for over 10 years. And what I've noticed is that when you see art that is produced by more conservative minded or religious people, and I can bet money on this, you will see actual technique and traditional standards because there's a pedagogical expectation. As conservatives, we want to preserve, obviously. So that also applies aesthetically. So all these things we're talking about also exist in the external world of forms. Like like you're producing art based on the condition of your heart. I guess what I'm saying is that the art you see today, all this garbage, you know, um, I heard you recently talking about the Pieta. And I was like, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Because, you know, only people who actually want to preserve Western values is going to produce that type of art is my point. Because the tug of war is um, essentially aesthetic relativism versus universal standards. And actual, the, the, you know, you're painting from your values. You know, so I'm painting from that same place as well. You know, my father's a pastor. My, my mother's a composer, classical. So I'm kind of visually... I'm like a visual fusion of them, actually, <laughs> if, if I may. Yeah. So, so that's kind of what I'm excavating. Um, so, you know, you got to learn the rules to break the rules. And I developed this, this technique and the skill to render. And I love art history. And that's where I'm painting from. But as of now, I'm currently working on um, a biblical series based on paintings in the Old Testament. But I'm trying to use new painting materiality and also do so in a way where young people can be attracted to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not just this old... Uh, gray <laughs> realism. I'm not just just using realism here. I'm trying to also, you know, um, have us be modern without being modern. I guess. <laughs> uh huh. No, I, I understand that completely. Yeah, yeah. I, I only have a like a minute left, so very briefly. Oh, okay. <laughs> very sure. briefly. When I when I when I think of the storyteller's art. I see places where the walls are beginning to crack. The Daily Wire is going to make some films and some, you know, stories. I'm publishing books with a good publisher, even though it's really, really hard to do. I think there are other places that I could go if I lost that publisher. Is, is there any place for you to go? Is there any, are there any cracks in the wall in the art world? 
not really. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but, 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 I'll, but I'll say that uh, this is kind of an early announcement, but this potentiality of um, there being one with a uh, business partner who contacted me. But as of now, I mean, that's also going to take time if we want to do at the same level of some of those top five galleries. Um, we're going to compete at that scale. But uh, as of now, no, we're, look, I, I can tell you, uh, I have this art collective and we're all conservative or Christian artists. And we all have said the same sentiment, which mm. is that if you speak up against the Leviathan, you're, you're canceled, you know? Wow, wow, wow. wow. Yeah. Arthur Kwan Lee, uh, it's K-W-O-N is your middle name, right? Yes, I got to talk about my Asian-ness a little bit. It's great to see you. Let's uh, get together and have a smoke soon. I want to see more of your work. It really is terrific. Okay. Absolutely, my friend. Uh, beauty will save the world. All right. <laughs> Thanks a lot. All right. Coming up in the members block, we're going to be talking about this uh, gay marriage bill that is uh, looks like it's going to go through with some Republican support. But that's for members only. So you want to subscribe to The Daily Wire. You want to do that anyway while you're buying A Strange Habit of Mind. You want to pause also to subscribe to The Daily Wire to support the work we are all doing here, then drop off the face of the earth into the darkness of the Clavenless Week. And, you know, then at least you'll have 10 more minutes before that begins. Uh, and before that, for everybody, just to show you that we are a universalist uh, <laughs> church here at The Daily Wire, we will solve all your problems with the mailbag. Woo! The Jews! Yeah! What the? I don't even know what that was. I don't want to know what it was. Just shoot it and then let it go. It says from Casey, uh, greetings, Sir Clavin. I am a 32-year-old wife and mother to four little ones. Wow, six, four, two, and six months. Uh, good for you. Good for you. I'm, I love it. And your podcasts are a breath of encouragement in a busy season of motherhood. Uh, my question is about past comments you've made about women dominating the top positions in industries like movies, journalism, science, et cetera. You said it's a sign that the industry is dying because men should be the visionaries. And so, well, that's not what, quite what I said. It's a sign that the industry is dying because men should be in the visionaries in society. That last part is not quite what I believe, but I'll get back to that. I generally agree, but my question regards traditionally feminine occupations. For context, I'm a dentist, but retired to stay at home with our children and have since started a small business in quilt and textile design. It turns out fabric and quilting is a multi-billion dollar industry. Who knew, and unsurprisingly, in the fabric world, the vast majority of industry heads are women. It brought to mind your comments, and I wondered how those thoughts translated to feminine industries that complement homemaking. Do your opinions about the vibrancy of an industry still apply. Thank you for your insights. Uh, and, and from an anti-feminist raising the future patriarchy. That's great. That's uh, really, I, I hope I'm, I am encouraging to you because I think you're encouraging to me and I think uh, you are doing the most important work that anybody, anybody can do. Um, I don't believe, my, my point was only an observation. It was only an observation. And when you start hearing, oh, it's the first woman to do this, it's the first woman to do that, it often means that that place has already been established uh, and the men have moved on into the new frontier. Not because they should be the, the visionary, but because they are risk takers, uh, because they're a little crazy. If you're listening to two children talking and one of them says, you know, I think I'm going to take my skateboard and skate off that cliff to see if you can fly in midair, it's going to be the boy nine, 99 times out of 100. And that's why they are always, you know, while while women suddenly proliferate in television, yeah, it's because the men have moved on to video games and video games have become a bigger thing. And when women start saying, we want to play some video games, it's because the men are already moving on somewhere else. It's just a, it's just a fact of the way the world works. It's not a moral point that I'm making at all. 
But my whole point about feminism, my whole attack on feminism is that it's trying to solve the wrong problem. The problem, I believe, started with the Industrial Revolution and has gotten worse until now, uh, which is that the home industries that women used to run, uh, making clothing, women were called the distaff because of this tool that they used to make clothing. That's a multi-gazillion dollar industry, making food, planting, uh, even taking care of land sales and things like that, all of which are listed in the roles of women in the Bible, in Proverbs, uh, you know, that women are doing all this tremendous business and taking care of those their families. All of those industries were wiped out by the Industrial Revolution and other technology. Uh, and so women were left only as homemakers. Uh, and I, I don't say that to say that that's a, a minor thing. It's still the most important job. But a lot of their economic power and their uh, interchange with the world was taken away. And that should have been what feminism was trying to, uh, the problem feminism was trying to solve, but instead it tried to make women uh, the same as men, which is a foolish thing to do. Women are the same as men in the sense that they should have the same rights as men, but that doesn't mean they, they should do the same work as men because they don't like it and it doesn't give them the same joy and they have this central important work to do of, of raising the next creating and raising the next generation. That's my only point about this. So the fact that computers are bringing home industries back is supportive of my point. I think women do need uh, things to engage their minds and engage their economic uh, sensibilities. They do need things that give them a respect in the world of men so that men don't say, oh, she's just doing this or she's just doing that. They need, you know, we all want that. We all want the respect of our peers and a place in our society. Native women have a place in society and are very, you can see that they are, you know, yes, I am the woman. I do what women do. Uh, but women lost a lot of that with uh, the destruction of home industries and the creation of factories and things like that. And they started to be idealized in their homemaking uh, role as the angel in the house. Well, women, you know, my wife is an angel, but most women aren't angels. Uh, and, and they just want to be people in the world. And so it's a wonderful thing, I think, to include home industries in your mothering uh, while you're doing the most important work of creating homes and creating people and creating a, a world in which men can live in a civilized manner, uh, all of which I think are things that uh, homemakers alone can do. But if you also have time or as your children grow and you get to have more time uh, to include the home industry, a wonderful thing. It's, a, it's, I think, one of the blessings of computers. You know, I don't want to attack computers. I think they're wonderful things. I just think like everything else, they can be, be misused, but that is a wonderful use of them. Uh, from Morgan, hi, Andrew, thank you for all you do. My question is, how do you help someone who blames God for tragedy, my family member recently lost his baby in what could only be described as a freak accident. A uh, truck driver swerved off the road, crashed into his home. Well, oh, Lord, the driver had 30 years of completely safe driving record and is said to have suffered from a medical condition. I believe in God and know that the baby is with him, but I can't help but wonder what the purpose could possibly be for taking that little baby in such a horrific way. What could anyone possibly say to console parents after something like this? Yeah, really a, a good question and in some ways an unanswerable question, theodicy. It's called is the science, the theology of trying to figure out why a good God allows suffering and evil in the world. I sometimes joke that the TH stands for God and the idiocy stands for the fact that we just can't figure this out entirely. But we don't know. We know that uh, the world in its randomness creates opportunities for freedom and goodness and opportunities for evil. And we think 
we believe, I believe that uh, there is a sense that this will make when we see it from eternity that it doesn't make in time. And that's a trust that we have and a faith that we have. But the, uh, you're so right, you're instinctively right to understand that to turn to somebody in the situation and say, oh God, we'll work it out and your baby is with God and everything and God has planned and is all right and all this stuff is not helpful. What you wanna say to someone like this has nothing really to do with that. What it has to do with is that you are there for them. And by that, I mean that you feel their pain, you're thinking thinking about them, you're praying for them. And here's something that you shouldn't say to somebody who's grieving. What you shouldn't say is, if there's anything I can do, let me know, because they won't let you know. What you should do is do it. Uh, show up and invite them for a walk. Uh, you know, they let them say no if they want to, but at least be there. Uh, show up with food, show up as uh, with and pay a visit. Uh, just do the thing that you think would be helpful. Your presence, you are the presence of God in this situation. Uh, whether or not they, they can regain their faith after such a terrible tragedy is not up to you. That's not your role. Your role is to represent God in your pure presence and your pure love. And I hope you can do that. Uh, and I hope it, it, it's helpful, but it's, it's a terrible, it's a terrible thing. And there are no easy answers and you shouldn't go for the easy answer. Uh, from Anonymous is 69 years old. Do I move closer to my kids and grandkids, even though I loathe the area they live in? Uh, they live in a safe suburb of Chicago, safe, unquote, suburb of Chicago. I'm three hours away. Uh, I want to spend as much time as I can with the children to try and reinforce conservative values as they are surrounded by liberals, including the other grandparents. Now there has been a car theft shooting on their block. I'm sick about it and scared. I don't believe my son-in-law will ever move. Should I make this move? Uh, I don't know what to do. I listen to your show religiously. Grateful for your wisdom. Well, here's here's one thing: is don't move closer to them to inculcate uh, conservative values. Move closer to them because you love them and because it gives you joy to spend time with them. It's not it's not going to be up to you what values they have. Uh, yes, you will represent those values when you're present, but move close to them because they give you you feel love for them and they give you joy. That's a good reason uh, to move close to them. You're not. You're not there to convince them of anything. Just let them grow into themselves and your presence and your values will have whatever effect that it has. If it were I in your situation, what I would say is move closer, but you don't have to move into that place. Move to a place that has things for you. You know, Chicago is, one of the things about Chicago is 10 minutes, well, not 10 minutes, but half an hour out, you're in the suburbs, you're in like open country. So you can move pretty close uh, and certainly closer than being three hours away and be in a very decent place. So maybe that's the thing to do. Make sure that the place you move in has things for you in it as well. And then you can visit more often, uh, maybe a half hour drive uh, or however you travel uh, to get to them would be much easier than three hours. And as I say, do it because not because you want to inculcate anything in them, but because you love them and it gives you joy to be with them and it gives it will give them joy uh, to be with you. And that's the most important thing uh, that you can do. And that would be my advice. That's what I would do in any case. I got to stop there. Members block is coming up. Uh, but if you're not in a, if you're not a member, if you don't subscribe to the Daily Wire, uh, darkness, terror, uh, fear, screaming, gnashing of teeth, wailing, it's terrible. That's the Clavenless week. Uh, and for members, it will start in 10 minutes, but at least you have 10 more minutes to hang on in the members block. Stay tuned.